Alrighty, guys, we are in James chapter number three. James chapter number three. We have been in James for a little while now, but it's been good. It's been good. Last week, we talked about tongue stewardship. How'd you do this week? Okay. You know what? I did pretty good. I've, uh, Sean, I think Chantel did pretty good. We, we had a few opportunities where, where we could have said some things that probably, probably would have had to been followed by apologies and all that other stuff. And you know what I've learned? I don't have to say everything that's on my mind. I don't have to respond to everything. I, I, um, I can just smile and wave. I can, you know, you don't have to, you you don't have to. So, so if I can do it, you can do it. Amen. So, uh, again, I, um, let's keep heading in the right direction this week. Um, a few less verses, but it's, it's probably a little bit of a deeper teaching. Uh, today we're going to talk about what is wisdom, what is true wisdom, and how misunderstanding wisdom is a temptation that can attack all men, but especially teachers. You know, it's funny, Bla- Brother Blaze and I were, were visiting before church, and he was kind of telling me a little bit of his story, and, 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 and you didn't know what I would be teaching on tonight, but we began to teach, uh, then to talk about the times that we live in, and and the importance of knowing the truth and speaking the truth and preaching and teaching the truth. And, and somehow or another, we began to uh, uh, bring out accounts of maybe teachers or preachers who say things that make you go, hmm. You ever heard something said by somebody and you go, hmm. Okay. Now, I'm not talking about when you wives go, what did you say? Which is really code, Brother Bernie, and you know this because you've been married 70 plus years, for you to retract what you just said because Miss Annalie's given you a chance to, 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 to take back what you just said. Okay. But Brother Bernie's like, I'm 90 years old. I can get away with anything. Yes, you can, brother. Okay. But, but normally, Jennifer, when you ask Brandon, what did you say? That's really code for him to try to retract that statement. And normally we begin to crawfish back. But, but sometimes teachers and preachers, and, and, and even Christians can be, um, can be misled. We can, we, can, we can believe something. You know, just because you believe something doesn't make it truth. Let that sink in. Just because you believe something, I sincerely believe it. You can be sincerely wrong, okay? You know, I, I, um, uh, you could get on this roof of this building and say, I sincerely believe that gravity is not a fact. That's okay, okay? Real soon, if you take a step, you will realize that what I'm telling you, that gravity is a fact. Let me use an example. We've, we've got, um, you know, I'm, I'm helping out at the, at the stadium, and, and we're trying to work out some new receivers, okay? We, we got a really good quarterback, got a really good running back, but we lost every receiver that caught a ball last year, okay? So we're teaching new receivers, and we had this one young receiver who's, uh, who's really got some potential, but R- Brother Ricky's got a problem. He catches the ball, and he's, he's about a buck a buck sixty, maybe, maybe, maybe less than that. Okay, he's quick now, but he wants to cut back in. I said, "Son, pain and heartache in there." Okay, safety and security out there. Now he hasn't got it yet. Okay, I have a feeling number twenty-one for our football team is going to explain it to him in a way that I can't explain it to him. Now, who's number twenty-one? That's Hayden. Okay, and he plays middle linebacker. And when you cut toward those kind of guys, you can deke and you can dodge, but eventually you're going to guess wrong and they're going to guess right. And he will see why. See that face you just made, Rick? That's the face I'm going to make when I go, ooh, Miss Jess, he needs assistance. Okay. But again, I can keep explaining it or I can just let him figure out for himself. So just because you believe something doesn't mean it's always right. 
And that can be the case with, uh, with, with the Word of God as well. You know, Brother Blaze, and you and I were talking, and, and I try to do a good job of telling you when it's my opinion and when it's God's Word. Because those are not on the same level, okay? Preachers' opinions are not doctrine. Okay, just uh, even if I believe strongly about it, okay, the scripture is black and white. There's no debating that, okay. But when I give you my opinion, now my my opinion can be helpful sometimes, okay. But but it's not doctrine. It's not absolutely infallible, okay. As Brother Blaze reminded me, hey, if I'm wrong and 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 somebody corrects me, hey, I'm I'm I've got a little brighter, okay. So today we're going to talk about the temptation of, of maybe misunderstanding what true wisdom is, understanding the difference between what wisdom of the world is and what wisdom from above is, because they are two very different things. You know, something might make perfect sense in the world, but God might tell you to do something exactly different, okay? So, so we've got to make sure that we understand the difference. And so let's look at it today. James chapter number three, we're going to begin reading in verse 13. It says this, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Let me say that again. Where envy and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Before I pray, I do want to remind you, our teenagers are popping balloons back there. So, so I, uh, I, I know we have a law enforcement. We have some folks who, who understand personal security. And when you heard some pop back there, you were like, <laughs> so our kids were, uh, our kids are, uh, are popping a balloon or two back there. So I just wanted to give you a heads up, nothing to worry about. Okay. So, uh, let's pray together. Can we, Lord, we love you. We praise you. I pray today, Lord, that you would help me to communicate your truth in a way that would be a blessing to your people. Lord, help us to realize there's a big difference between the world's wisdom and your wisdom. We need your wisdom. We need your discernment. We need truth from above Lord, because that will make all the difference in our lives, make all the difference in our church. Help us to avoid that temptation, Lord, that, that, that just cause it sounds good, just because it works. It's truth. No, that ain't always the case. Touch us today and strengthen us today by your word in Jesus name. Amen. Verse number 13 says there's a wise and an understanding man. Note the question, who is, who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? The term wise man refers to teacher or someone knowledgeable, knowledgeable in the word. Okay. By teacher, of course, James is talking to the church. He's talking to anyone among us who teaches the word. Anyone who's taught a Sunday school class. Anyone who's taught a small group. Anyone who's, who's, who's kind of um, um, revealed, the Lord has revealed some truths to them. He's talking to us. So he's really talking to every one of us, okay? If we're going to be knowledgeable of the word, we have to... We have to understand that. So he's really talking to all of us. Now, more specifically, he's talking to teachers, he's talking to preachers, but he's really talking to everybody in the church. Do you want to be a wise teacher? Do you want to be a teacher of knowledge? If so, this is some things you ought to do. First of all, 
Note, some of the teachers to whom James was writing did not understand the meaning of true wisdom and knowledge. Some of them were acting most unwisely and about as empty-headed as a person can act. You ever met any of those folks? How many have figured out that common sense should be renamed uncommon sense? Because it ain't near as common as it used to be. Those things that just naturally make sense, okay? Um, they don't make as near much sense as before. Believe it or not, I had to explain an old phrase that Cecil Janway taught so many young ministers, there's nothing to be learned from a second kick from a mule. Now, I don't have to explain that to you, right? You get kicked once, you pay very close attention whenever you're near that mule. I had to explain that to a kid this week, okay? Maybe he's never been kicked by a mule, but if you've been kicked once, once should be enough, okay? Now, some of you ain't never been kicked by a mule, but you've been kicked in some other areas, hadn't you? Okay, let's learn our lessons. Wise men learn from their mistakes. Really wise folks learn from other people's mistakes, okay? If I'm helping Blaze out and he gets a kick from a mule, I'm going to pick him up and I'm going to wash that mule, okay? I'm going to learn from other people's mistakes. But, um, but we need to understand what true wisdom is, what, how to really be wise and knowledgeable in our use of the Word of God. Note the words, let him show. It is one word in the Greek, and it is emphatic. It's strongly emphasized. This means the wise teacher will strongly show forth the following traits. Two traits will be clearly seen in a wise teacher's life, as well as every born-again believer. Number one, there is the trait of good behavior and conduct. This means the wise teacher does exactly what he should do. Wisdom and knowledge have to do with how a person behaves and conducts himself. Not only knowing the facts and being a scholar, but putting those facts into action. Basically, living what you teach and preach. Your words and your actions should be the same. Amen? You can't teach holiness and live another way. You can't teach forgiveness and walk in unforgiveness. You, we have to... It would be like the swim coach not knowing how to swim. Okay, he's going to show you everything to do, but he can't get in the pool and do it. Doesn't have much credibility, does he? You know, there's a great golfer one time named Lee Trevino. Okay, some of you might have been around back then. And Lee was a great, great player. He never had a coach. Now, believe it or not, in today, I mean, they have multiple coaches. They have guys to talk to them about their thoughts and all this stuff. Lee never had a swing coach. You know why? They asked Lee one time, Mr. Trevino, he'd won several majors, great golfer. Why don't you have a coach? And he said, because I hadn't found one who could beat me yet. And what he was saying was, I haven't found anybody with the credibility to teach me yet. Now, part of that might have been a little prideful, okay? But you get the point here, guys. What we say and what we do got to match up. Amen? And that is so important to you and I as the church. It's important for the preacher. It's important for the teacher. But it's important for every one of us. Amen? If we say we're a born-again Christian, we got to act like it. Amen? You know, we... we, we we, we, we used to dress a lot differently. We used to, used to be able to point somebody out who went to church from a distance, okay? And I'm not going to get into the weeds on that, but here's the deal. We don't dress any different today. We, we, I don't look like a Christian, so that means I better act like a Christian. My actions are so very, very important, and yours are as well. So that's important for every teacher. you got to have credibility. As a teacher, 
as he teaches life lessons, he must live and model good behavior and conduct. A teacher, a believer must be a good person and live just as what he teaches and preaches. Guys, we got to live by this book. We got to be people of this book. Note this critical fact. In the eyes of scripture, the truly wise and knowledgeable teacher is not a person who has all kind of facts and theories, speculations and notions in his mind. Rather, he is a teacher who is a good person, who's moral and just, a loving and caring person, a person that not only hears the word of God, but does the word of God. Amen? You see, guys, I don't want to know how much of the word you know. I want to know how much of the word you put into action. Okay, I've met some folks that they can articulate the word amazingly, but they couldn't lead somebody to Jesus if they tried, Blaze. I haven't used this phrase in a long, long time. They're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Let that sink in. The good news is none of y'all are like that. Okay, that's my former church. Okay, but let's make sure that we keep things in balance. Do we know? Now, am I saying don't know the word? No, no, you're missing the point. Know the word, but apply the word. Know, Know all about the word, but know the person of the word, Jesus Christ. Amen? What does the scripture say? Jesus said in Matthew chapter number 7, uh, verses 24 through 27. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, the winds blow. Feels like a kid's church lesson, doesn't it? And beat upon the house and it fell not. Why? Because it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, the wind blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The importance of uh, not, 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 uh, or setting our example no matter what age we may be. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 4 and 12, let no man despise thy youth. Or I could even say, let no man despise your age. Be an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. Guys, we need more examples in the church. Amen? We need more examples in the church. I'm talking to our seasoned saints in here. I'm talking to folks that you've heard a few lessons on the book of James, okay? We need more examples in the church. Amen? I need more people to set the example of how to pray. How to, how to be faithful, how to be consistent in every area of your life. Are we looking for perfection? No, we're not going to do a can you walk on water test. But what we need is consistency. Amen? Are you going to mess up every now and then? Welcome to the club, but own it. You know, the best thing to do when you mess up, we've been teaching our teenagers this, is own it. Just say, hey, I messed up. Seek forgiveness, try to make it right, move on. Learn from that example. We need more examples in the church today. A second trait of good teachers and good believers for that sake is meekness. The truly wise and knowledgeable teacher will show forth meekness. The word means to be gentle, tender, humble, considerate, but strongly so. See, meekness has the strength to control and discipline, and it does so at the right time. Meekness has a humble state of mind, but this doesn't mean the teacher is weak cowardly. You know, the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth, but yet he still, uh, he still led a million people. Guys, weak leaders don't lead those kind of people. 
Okay, those people followed a real leader, somebody who had been in the presence of God, but he had humbled himself to the point that he was able to be used greatly by God. Meekness also has a strong state of mind. It looks at situations and wants justice and wants the right thing to be done. It's not a weak mind that ignores and neglects evil and wrongdoing. It's somebody who sees something that needs doing and they do it. Meekness has a strong self-control. A meek teacher or leader or Christian controls his or her spirit and mind. He doesn't react. He responds. He doesn't fly off the handle. He doesn't give people a piece of his mind because his mind has been renewed by Christ Jesus and he gives him a piece of of a renewed mind. You can do that. Okay. I give you permission to give a piece of your mind as long as your mind has been renewed. Okay, don't take half of what I said. Preacher said, I could give you a piece of my mind. You got to make sure your mind has been renewed. So meek is, is sometimes negative, is in a negative context, text, but, but really being meek is a strong character trait. Galatians 6 and 1 says, brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you that are spiritual, you want to be spiritual? Restore such as one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest thou be tempted. Matthew 5 and 5 says, Blessed is the meek, for they shall what? Inherit the earth. All right, verses 14 through 16. Here is the temptation for false wisdom. There is the false wisdom and wrong teaching of this world. This is a most tragic picture. It immediately shows us there are teachers, ministers, laymen in the church who follow false teaching of the world. You know, guys, we live in the last days. The Bible says in the last days there would be perilous times, okay? There would be, there would be people that would look for new doctrines. They'd have itching ears. They want to just hear something new, okay? Guys, you got to be careful of that. In fact, the Bible says the very elect could be deceived if not for the power of the Holy Spirit, if not for, for all the goodness of God. So you got to know what you believe so you don't fall for some foolishness. Note the description of false wisdom and wrong teaching. Number one. False wisdom and wrong teaching arouse bitter envy and jealousy. There are teachers, ministers, laymen alike who are envious and jealous of others. They're jealous of someone else's church and position. They're jealous of people's leadership. They're they're looking for titles instead of a testimony. (laughs) You know, I don't know where I read that, but somebody put on there... Uh, in fact, it was a uh, it was a young young person who was preaching a message, and his title was "Are you looking for testimonies, or are you looking for titles?" Guys, I've had titles before, and you can have them. What I want is testimonies. I want to be able to get involved in people's lives and make a difference in their lives. Okay, I've had a bunch of different titles, and titles don't do a bit of good. But testimonies that means change lives. Blaze, I think you'd take a testimony over a title any day. I think I could say that about many of you in here. Let's continue to make that wise choice. Don't run after titles. Don't run after recognition. Just try to reach people. Just try to make a difference in people's lives. And guess what? Those those, uh, testimonies will begin to pile up. The point is this. False wisdom or wrong teaching arouse bitter envy and jealousy. It stirs up terrible division, and that is not the will of God. Bitterness, envy, jealousy, they are all wrong. They have no place among those who teach the true wisdom of God. That's the world's way of doing things. God's way of doing things is more like 1 Corinthians 13 that says, 
Love or charity suffers long, is kind, envieth not, vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, is not proud. That kind of love never fails. Galatians 5 and 21 tells us, Envians, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, they that do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Guys, we've got to make sure we do things differently from the world. False wisdom and wrong teaching arouse a spirit of strife in one's heart. So what's the big problem with strife? What's the big problem with strife? Is that, why is that such a big deal? Why is that such a big deal? Because strife, my friend, if you're taking notes, write this down. Strife is an open invitation to the enemy. Strife is an open invitation to the enemy. How how can you say that, Pastor? Because look at verse 16. For where envying and strife there is, there is confusion and every evil work. Who's the author of confusion? Is the Lord the author of confusion? No. He's got his ducks in a row. He's got this thing figured out. The enemy of our souls is the author of confusion. Strife is the open door for the enemy to come in. It'll happen in your family. It can happen in a church. You ever been in a church where strife started to stir up and next thing you know? By the way, that was a rhetorical question, okay? We're sitting in a sanctuary where we saw this play out before. But guys, we can be better than that. We can be different. Let's do all that we can to not walk into those problems, not to allow strife to to, to carry the day, but allow the love and the grace of the Lord to cover those things. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. Amen? Strife or love, it's your choice. But strife is something that, that, man, it, it repels the presence of God. Guys, another thing that, uh, what's the opposite of strife? Unity. When we're all on the same page, when we're all seeking the same thing, unity attracts the presence, strife repels the presence. Amen? We need more unity. We need to get on the same page. We need to get on, not on the same page the preacher says, on the same page the Holy Spirit says. Amen? And that's speaking the same things. That's letting the words we say and the deeds we do be the same. That's what James is trying to get across right here. False wisdom and teaching arouse a spirit of boasting and pride. You seen that before? And how many know pride comes before the what? Fall. Amen. We want to make sure we remain humble. We want to make sure that we realize that I I told Brother Blaze this before that um, my opinions cannot save a soul. My thoughts cannot change a life, but God's word can. Amen? It doesn't say Blaze's words will not return void. It doesn't say Pastor Moe's words will return void. It doesn't even say Miss Chantel's words will not return void. It says God's word will not return void. Amen? So we need to stand on that, and that is true biblical wisdom. Amen? Matthew 23, 12, talking about pride, says, Whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. Bible also says that God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to the humble. How many in here need some grace? That would be an IQ question. Every hand should have went up. We all need grace. So we need to make sure we humble ourselves so that we can receive that grace in good timing. Amen. False wisdom and wrong teaching also arouse a a lie against the truth. It means two things. First, the false teacher is inconsistent with the word. 
He's not living and teaching the truth. He's living a lie, teaching a lie, some false doctrine. Secondly, the false teacher is inconsistent in what he teaches and he does. He says one thing, he does another. There's a great warning to that found in Romans chapter number 2. Romans chapter number 2, verses 21 through 23. Thou therefore which teachest another, teachest thou not thyself? Thou that preachest a man should not steal... Do you steal? Thou that saith a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Thou that abhorrest idols, do you commit sacrilege? Thou that makest thy boast of the law, through breaking the law, dishonoreth God. Guys, we need to make sure that what we say and what we do is the same. Paul gave this warning to Titus in Titus 1.16. They profess that they know God. But in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and to every good work, reprobate. That means no count. That means no good. That means that dog don't hunt. Okay? We want to make sure that we're not like that. Amen? Now note the source of false wisdom and wrong teaching. Does it come from God? Nope. It comes from the enemy. It comes from the prince of this world. It comes from this world. False wisdom is of the earth. It centers and focuses upon this world. It follows the nature of man, which is contrary to the nature of God. It teaches great ideas and principles. It's a, a feel-good talk. We talked about that before church, didn't we, Brother Blaze? It's, it's like more motivational talk. Okay, you need motivational talks before ball games. Okay, if Miss Chantel's trying to help you regain your health, you might need a motivational talk for that. You don't need motivational talks in church. Amen? You need the Word of God. You need the Word that changes somebody. You don't need me to rah-rah you because guess what? The enemy's waiting for you out there. You better have some ammunition. You better have something you can use against him. Amen? And that's truth and that's wisdom. False wisdom that comes from the world is sensual. It's based in the natural. It's unspiritual. False wisdom and wrong teaching are devilish or demonic. It just causes all kind of nonsense. Note the terrible effects of this false wisdom and false teaching. The person who follows the false wisdom of this world, who selfishly seeks position, wealth, authority, who seeks recognition for some novel idea, who envies and strifes others, he will cause confusion and every evil work. As I said, where strife is, every other evil is as well. The confusion and evil caused by false wisdom and wrong teaching by teachers who live and teach contrary to God and His Word are endless. But this much needs to be said. The effects of wrong teaching, the following of false wisdom of this world, should cause every minister, every teacher, every believer to awaken, examine our lives, what we believe, why we believe it, and get back to the Word. Amen? Paul's example to us all is found in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, where he said, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in trembling, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of Almighty God. 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty three. God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Amen? 
We need more of that in the church. We need more of that in our lives. We need more of that in our, in our hearts. Verses 17 and 18. I'm almost done. There is the true wisdom of God. Three significant points about the true wisdom of God. Number one, the source of true wisdom is God. True wisdom comes from above. It comes from his word. Amen. It comes from you praying James 1 and 5, one of my favorite scriptures. If any man lacks wisdom, what? He can ask God for it. He'll give it to him. That's good stuff. Secondly, the description of true wisdom is clearly stated. What is the wisdom of God? What does the wisdom of God look like? Let's look at it. First, true wisdom is first of all pure. The word pure means to be free from fault and defilement. It means moral purity. It's pure. Matthew 5 and 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. This is what true wisdom is. It is first pure. First of all, purity. Purity is first in importance. It hadn't been mingled with anything of the world. It is truth. It is God's word. A wise teacher, minister, Christian alike is a teacher or believer who lives a pure life and teaches that men must be pure before God. 1 Peter 1 and 16, it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. So true wisdom is pure. Secondly, true wisdom is peaceable. The word means to bind together, to join and weave together. It means a wise teacher is bound, woven, and joined together with himself, with God, and with his fellow man. The wise teacher does all he can to keep the peace and to make peace where it's been broken. Whether between two individuals, two groups in a community, a nation, whatever. A wise teacher understands the peace of God. Works to bring men closer to God and closer to each other. Romans 12 and 18, Paul says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. As much as it is possible. Hebrews 12 and 14, follow peace with all men and holiness. Without such, no man shall see the Lord. So true wisdom is peaceable. True wisdom is also gentle. The word is difficult to translate into English. It's translated by others as gentleness, forbearance, patience, consideration, courtesy, softness. There is a tendency to say that either forbearance or gentleness is a better translation. It means that there's something better than mere justice, a gracious gentleness. A wise teacher is to be gentle and forbearing in dealing with other people. The point is well taken. We must be gentle and forbearing in dealing with people. The last thing we must do is criticize, condemn, neglect, ignore people. We must reach out to the world with the gospel. We must treat people with a loving gentleness. We must show the grace of God. Amen? Ephesians 4 and 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with all suffering, forbearing one another in love. Colossians 3 and 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man hath a quarrel against you, even as Christ forgave you, you also do. True wisdom is gentle. True wisdom is also easy to be entreated. The word means reasonable, being willing to listen to reason and to appeal. You ever tried to talk to somebody who was unreasonable? Okay, husbands, watch yourselves right now. This is thin ice, Brother Blaze, okay? <laughs> you ever, you ever, yeah. How many have teenagers? You ever had a teenager that was a little bit, uh, a little bit unreasonable, okay? It, it happens sometimes, huh? Let that not be said of us, okay? Let's not get ourselves so worked up in a tizzy that we become unreasonable. 
True wisdom is, is, is very reasonable. Okay? True wisdom is also full of mercy. The word means to have feelings of pity, compassion, empathy towards someone. To, draw t- uh, to tenderly draw unto oneself and to care for. Two things are essential in order to have mercy. Seeing a need and trying to meet that need. Trying to see people through God's eyes. Showing mercy. Mercy does not discriminate it. It treats people with love and compassion. It treats people like Jesus would treat people. Matthew 5 and 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Never forget that principle of sowing and reaping. Okay? You want to know why I try to sow a lot of mercy? Because I need mercy. Want to know why I sow a lot of grace? Because I need grace. Amen? There's a good lesson for all of us to learn. True wisdom is full of good fruit. It means the wise teacher actually reaches out and does something to those in trouble. In other words, he, he's not so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. He's putting what we knows into practice. He loves people. There's fruit of the Spirit in his life. There's fruit in his ministry. There are people that are being reached for the gospel. Galatians 5.22 says the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Galatians 6 and 2, Paul says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And Galatians 6 and 10, As we therefore have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially them that are in the household of faith. True wisdom is without partiality. It treats people properly. The wise teacher is undivided in his convictions. He he treats people like God treats people. That's what true wisdom is. And finally, true wisdom is without hypocrisy. This means to be free from insincerity, hypocrisy, play-acting, wearing a mask. The teacher of true wisdom does not try to fake people out. He does not teach one thing and do another. He does not claim to be a teacher of God and teach something else other than God's Word. He doesn't claim to be a teacher of God and live an impure and righteous life. Basically, his words and his actions, they add up. The true effect of The effect, rather, of true wisdom is the fruit of righteousness. And I close with this. A life and world of righteousness. Note how righteousness is brought about by making peace. Righteousness, men living like they should, men treating each other and treating God like they should, can never come about unless we are at peace with each other and at peace with God. This means something of critical importance. The greatest need that man has is for peace. Peace with each other and peace with God. But you can't have peace with your brother until you have peace with God. You know, uh, the, the Bible tells us to love God and love people. How many have figured out one's a lot easier to do than the other? Okay? It's pretty easy to love God, isn't it? Because when you truly see in his word that he loves you, that he died for you, that he made total provision for you, it's just natural to love him. But how many have met some of God's people? Okay? I've even figured out God's got some nasty children. You met them before? You've seen them before. You took them to dinner before. Okay? We've been there. We've done that. But here's the deal, guys. We need peace with God and then allow that to, 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 to bring peace among men and women. The true teacher will work and work for peace, struggle and struggle to get men and make peace with each other and with God. Just picture the scene. Men at peace with each other, men at peace with God, a world of peace. 
Don't look now, but I just described Revelation chapter number 20, the millennial reign, and Revelation 21 and 22, the new heavens and the new earth. So there's coming a time where all that's going to happen. In the meantime, we have a world to live in. But here's the thing, guys. If you'll remember, it is well with your soul. It makes everything else easier. It makes even those difficult people just a little bit easier. Okay? You know, I wish, Brother Blaze, I could make your life so much easier and you did not have to have another difficult person come your way. But I can't do that. Okay? I can't do that. And with you throwing your hat in the political ring, you're going to have to deal with some difficult people. And if you're our next sheriff, you are entrusted with keeping those difficult people where they belong. Okay? But you know what? Peace with God will make it a whole lot easier. Amen? It's like Mama used to say, a little sugar makes the medicine go down a little better, don't it? So guys, I just want to challenge you today. Allow the Lord to touch your heart. Allow the Lord to to strengthen you. Stand on the truth of God's Word. Teach the truth. Live the truth. And let the truth change you. Let's look at the words of Jesus as I wrap things up. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 16, 33. These things I've spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have trouble or tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Amen? You know, if Jesus stopped where he said, in this world you'll have trouble... Well, that could be tough to stomach, but he didn't stop there. He said, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world because he overcame the world. You and I can as well. Romans 14 and 17 sums it up by saying, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Amen. With every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, the focus tonight was the temptation of teachers or believers to to teach untruth or to get caught up in false doctrine or or things that are out of contrary with the Word of God. But, But there's also the distinct possibility of people believing false teaching, following false teaching. We need the Holy Spirit's discerning power to know who we can trust, to know the truth. Because the Bible says the truth will set us free. Especially in these last days, we need the discerning power of the Holy Spirit. We need to know the Word. We need to know what we believe. Maybe you're here today and you need peace. You need a confidence in your spirit that, uh, to overcome whatever you may be dealing with. I'd just like for you to respond to the Lord right now. He's in this place and He wants to touch you. Stand on His Word. Stand on the truth. Be consistent with what we believe and how we live. And watch the Lord bless us. Watch the favor of the Lord follow us as we do all that he's calling us to do. Would we continue to pray that the Lord would protect us as a church from false teaching? He'd protect us as believers in these last days from, from, from being foolish like James talked about. But let's be wise. Let's allow the Holy Spirit to use us in every area of our lives. Lord, I pray over this congregation right now, every man and every woman here tonight, that you would touch them, that you would help them to know the truth, and the truth would set them free. Holy Spirit, you're welcome 
to to touch our hearts. You're welcome to speak to our hearts. You're welcome, Lord God, to, to reveal to us, Lord, what's true wisdom and what's false teaching. Holy Spirit, let your word come alive to us as we study the word, as we are men and women of the word. Let it come alive in our hearts and our minds. I ask right now, Lord, that you would touch this church, that you would touch these people, and that you would help us, Lord God, to not only believe what we believe, but to live like we believe it and make a difference in our families, in our church, and in our community. It's in Jesus' name, and everybody would say, Amen and amen.